0: And welcome to the Art of Work, a podcast about how we find fulfilment as we pay the bills. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Josh Babarinda, an award-winning social entrepreneur, Liberal Democrat councillor, and parliamentary candidate for Eastbourne. A former youth justice worker, Josh founded Cracked It, a smartphone repair service staffed by young ex-offenders, which has won multiple awards. At 26. He was awarded an OBE for services to criminal justice, social enterprise and the economy. He's the first ever Councillor of Black Heritage in Eastbourne and is also currently Head of Entrepreneurship Delivery at the School for Social Entrepreneurs. In this podcast, he talks about why he still believes in politics and how to make change happen. Hello, Josh, and welcome to The Art of Work. I'm delighted to have you on the podcast.
1: It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, I think you're probably the youngest guest I've ever had on the podcast. And when I look at your CV, I can't believe how much you've done. Where does your work ethos come from?
1: My work ethos? Someone asked me that the other day, actually. Where does your energy come from, Josh? A couple of places. Number one is my family. So I think about my mum in particular. My mum, when I was growing up, very kind of modest upbringing proud working class family and uh, mum would often say when it came to Christmas time look it's going to be a you know quieter Christmas you know it won't be a huge Christmas this year and totally fine you know whatever and then Christmas day would come and what was she talking about there were no obvious difference no obvious downsizing and every single year mum found a way She found a way to make it work. She's resourceful and absolutely determined to make sure that me and my siblings just had the best time. And in all different kinds of scenarios, she just made it work and pulled out the stops. And that's really inspired me. So that's one place where it comes from. Another place is also, you know, there's a lot of things I'm really excited about in my life, in this life for all of us. There's a lot of things I'm quite bitter about as well. And the interplay between those things really just propels me on.
0: Mm. So did your mum manage to work as well as bring up a brood, presumably on her own? Did she bring you up on her own?
1: So my mum and dad uh, separated when I was two or three. And then my mum, I spent most of my time with my mum, but saw my dad at weekends and stuff and it was wonderful. And then she was married. It was a it was a tricky marriage with this other guy. And after that she was a single mum for some time. And so I, you know, aged twelve or thirteen, you know, had some much younger brothers and, and sisters, mm-hmm. ten years younger than me, respectively. And I would go to sports days, parents' evenings, Christmas plays, all that kind of stuff, help them with their homework and felt very paternal towards them and still do. Uh, in fact, my little sister, uh, she just went off to university uh, over the weekend and I kept it together when I was giving her a hug goodbye, but <laughs> it was really, really, really sad. And so during that time, mum was, mum was working, she did all different sorts of jobs. She had jobs working in, in retail, in hospitality, she worked at the hospital at one point and more recently she went into education and uh, she was a teaching assistant at my old school uh, for a while uh, and then became a kind of pastoral care worker, which is really, really her calling.
0: Amazing. And uh, what about your dad? What did he do or does he do work-wise?
1: So my dad has done all different kinds of things. My dad was once a, a local model. Uh, wow. Is, is often stopped on on the street by folks who remember him from his modeling days but dad works uh, in insurance still does work in insurance and um, as a, a call center handler um so he um, he sells people insurance for white goods and, and various uh tech over the phone and he yes yeah, doing things like that i used to work in health insurance doing a similar kind of thing but yeah customer service is his thing my dad's a people person mm. He's uh really, really good at understanding kind of where people are at and understanding what they need, building rapport. He's he's brilliant. And I learned a lot of that from from my dad. So, yeah, he does that and he smashes it. He's, you know, one of the top sellers at the organization. And yeah, takes a lot of pride in that. And so do I.
0: So, have you? Do you think you have uh, inherited or mimicked some of his sales skills in your <laughs> in your various careers to date? At the grand age of, are you twenty eight now?
1: Twenty nine now. Twenty
0: nine now. I'm relieved yeah. to hear you clocked up another year, <laughs> <laughs> nearly thirty, and then you'll be well over the hill, George. <laughs> quite,
1: quite. <laughs> um, no, what? Uh, I mean, I I have very much, I learned a lot from my dad, especially during the lockdown. So so my my dad uh, lives alone and uh, I didn't want that to be so during that period. So before the first lockdown uh, came in, I I shacked up with him and, um, you know, he was having to then do his work from home and he hated it at first and now he absolutely loves it. Um, And... Uh, hearing him manage, um, you know, various customers on the phone, hearing him uh, make the sale in a very, you know, he's very gentle. He's not an aggressive um, kind of, um, uh, you know, stereotypical US, um, you know, secondhand car salesman. Um, he's very, very gentle um, and very smooth um, and, uh, but very persistent nonetheless none, none um and so yeah i learned i learned a lot from him about how how he um how he makes the sale um i'm yet to recruit him to be a telephone canvasser uh, for some of the political campaigning um but he will he will get the ask at the <laughs>
0: And will clearly do a brilliant job for you. I mean, it yeah. struck me, and we'll get on to the politics later, but it it struck me, I looked at your Facebook, your social media, and it's incredibly well behaved. I mean, there are parallels between customer service and being a politician, aren't there? Because you have to you have to be. And one of the good things in our very m- messy political system, one could argue, is that having constituents to whom you are responsible certainly keeps your feet on the ground and means you have to be kind of well-behaved, polite, an ambassador for your party all the time. That's hard enough for anyone, but uh, for a 28 and now 29-year-old, that must be quite a challenge. How do you find it? Or are you just naturally extremely grown up, Josh? <laughs> I,
1: I did grow up very quickly during that period that I mentioned uh, when, when I was a kid. Um and so um, I think it's maybe been less difficult than it otherwise might have been um, to, um, you know, stay on the right side of the tracks type thing. Um, I guess another thing though, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a good point in terms of looking through the social media. I mean, I, I do have you know great time with my mates and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, go on holiday from time to time, go to music gigs and things. I, I have to, know approach things with a real degree of of care and Mm -hmm. have done for for a long time um and care not because um things i get up to um are wrong um but because things can be twisted uh perceptions um can be made in a certain way um which can be really damaging and there Mm -hmm. are so many um folks um, who have kind of been in a position where something has been misconstrued, maybe, yeah. um, and uh, and they've they've lost out, whether it's yeah. their career or their, their their personal life, because of this scrutiny. Um, and it's not um, fair to be honest, but it is it is how it is. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 a good boy.
0: You are a, <laughs> a good boy, and you were clearly a good boy even when you were a boy because um, you got. I mean, looking at your LinkedIn, you got something like. 11 A's, many of them starred for GCSE and four, three of them starred, I think, for A-level. That's quite something to come from a working class background. I mean, it's quite something if you went to Eton, frankly, but you didn't. Um, Was that, clearly you were and are academically very good, but where did that come from? Did Did you feel a kind of burning need to... To get I mean I was a terrible swot at school, so i'm not i'm not not kind of criticizing you here. <laughs> I had to get A's and everything they didn't have the starred system when I was there, but had they, I'm sure I would have felt I had to get stars um what where did that come from
1: mm. school for me was um was a very safe place um home wasn't um all the time, despite my mum's best efforts to 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 make it so um home um was a really tricky and sometimes oppressive place um and yeah school was a place where i felt um <clears throat> safe with just being me um it was a place um where people really believed in me and like everyone wanted me to do um well and that was literally marvelous um and um and I really wanted to kind of honour um, the investment and the loyalty and stuff that um, teachers and other staff and my schoolmates were were, were putting in me. So, um, yeah, I really just kind of put my head down uh, and, and went for it. Um, I'm also quite a competitive character as well. So I just really wanted to be not necessarily better than everybody else, because um, and I certainly wasn't. Um, but uh, to really challenge myself um, to be better than I thought I might be able um, to, to be. Uh, so that, that's where a lot of that came from, but there are teachers and it's been so lovely, Christina, um, uh, kind of retracing lots of old steps in, in Eastbourne um, and going back and seeing lots of those those teachers you know a lot of people talk about oh you know there's there's one teacher who really you know everyone has one teacher don't they who um they just felt a real connection with and uh, a debt of gratitude to for me there are many and mm. i've been so lucky in that I've, I've been able to go back to my old schools and chat with them and um you know They've they've seen they've had my face come through their letterbox on a leaflet or I've popped up on telly somewhere or whatever it might have been they've seen and it is wonderful, um, and uh, that that's where it really came from for me. But my, um, I think a lot about my dad as well. He 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 was really still is you know very hardworking very conscientious, um, and I was quite inspired um by that. But I think something else because there was never any. Family pressure um, to do well academically or, or, or to or, or to perform. Um, you know, it really. Um, you know, my my parents um, were pretty hands off um, and didn't impose their aspirations or project their own aspirations on on me, um, and just let me get on with it and. Um, you know, a lot of the things that I've ended up doing are things that are certainly not within the family, um, but they were within me for for whatever reason. And so I just cracked on with it and, and did them. And that's where some of my liberalism comes from mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but also underpinned by a really important uh, and kind of determined sense of um fairness and a, a pretty um uh you know the means of a- addressing and creating that fairness were often like blunt and uncompromising so i'll give you an example there was a piece of homework that i was doing i'll never forget this um it's a piece of homework i was doing in my bedroom when i was like 12 years old um for uh for my german uh, class and it was like a poster um can't quite remember what was on it but Um, I drew, you know, like a picture of Mr. Bean and it was like an Oscars poster. That's what I was doing. Um, And it was, you know, it was a really good poster. And I was, you know, coloured it all in with coloured pencils. And it was about three quarters of the way done. Um, And I left it on my um, desk and then, you know, went to school. And then I came back from school and it transpired that my little brother, who was like, you know, three or something at the time, had scribbled all oh, over this.
0: No. Uh,
1: yeah, it was. I was gutted. Uh, so you know, I spoke to my mum about it, and she felt really bad. Um, that you know, she'd basically allowed this to happen was, was her view, and I had kind of thought, oh, mum, like, why did you let Charlie in my room, etc. And so uh, my mum said, um, right, don't worry about it. Um, bring me down your colour pencils and your paper. Um and um, give me an hour um, and I'll sort it out. And so <laughs> she replicated the whole thing, the entire thing, and she coloured it all in with the exception of that quarter that I hadn't done and said, right, there you are. Um, you're in exactly now the same position as you would have been, but for this unexpected intervention. <laughs> go and do your thing. And I thought I was really kind of uh, wowed by that at the time. Um, and uh, and when I reflect on it now and have done kind of in adulthood, I've thought, yeah, well, that is, um, I, I, re- I really believe everything about that is so right. Um, bad luck played a role in, you know, screwing up with something I was very passionate about. Um, and this blunt, force, uncompromising force of fairness, um, made sure that I was not disadvantaged by it and let me crack on. But it didn't finish the whole poster out of sympathy or anything like that. And I asked my mum at the time, you know, I, I was kind of being a, like a, a bit of a terror and was kind of guilt tripping her. And she said, I, I don't feel guilty about it anymore because I've done it um, for you. So <laughs> leave me alone type thing. And everything about that resonated with me then resonates with me now Mm -hmm. It is the um uh epitome of uh a kind of you know a muscular liberal state if you Mm. like um and uh there are many other examples of things like that but um yeah my parents didn't impose on me let me go on with my thing but didn't let me get disadvantaged by things that were out of my control
0: and you were head student um, and chair of the student council. or I don't know if it was called that. Did that yeah. happen? Was that something you had to run for, stand for? How did that happen?
1: Yeah. So I uh, I got to end of year 10, I think it was, uh, at Cavendish School. Amazing school. Um, comprehensive. My mum also went there and um, really the making of me. And... Uh, a bunch of well elections were coming up for head student and um it was obviously going to be the, the the case um that um uh aisha was going to be running um for head student her brother had been head student aisha had been on the student council every single year um very smart very hardworking. um you know parents doctors um and a bunch of folks came up to me and said, "Josh, you know, you you should go for this. You know, um, you're you know you're hardworking. You've done a little bit of stuff with the student council, um, and um, you know, and people like you. Um, and so I was like, okay, fine, I'll I'll go for it. So I went up against Aisha, um, and uh, had to do kind of hustings in the in the assembly hall." And then uh, everyone voted. Uh, and I told my mum, because she was working at the school at that time, I said, Mum, you cannot, cannot be in the room while I'm giving my speech, because I just <laughs> won't be able to concentrate, and it's <laughs> going to be too embarrassed. And as I was giving my speech, I could see a, I could. At the at the door, there was a kind of silhouette as a glass on, on the top panel of the door. I could see some kind of silhouette, and I didn't think much of it at the time. Then I learned that it was my mum who was uh, um, who was listening. Anyway, I won that uh, that election, and I thought, oh my goodness, okay, now I should have to do something. Um, and uh, what was uh, I was really passionate about at that time, and the the year group where you know a thousand kids in the school, two hundred in my year group. Um, was having a non-uniform day. Uh, we hadn't had one in like five years, you know, since our very first year at, at the school. And um, people wanted one. So I said, okay, I'm going to do my thing and, and see if I can lobby and secure one. And I did. I remember thinking at that time, wow, like everyone seems happier than they usually do. Um, and that's a result of me understanding like what they wanted and then f- figuring out how to get it and then doing it um and um I, it was that at that point that I thought ah maybe this kind of thing doing more of this in the future is something that i' I'd, I'd, I'd want to do and I had a loose understanding of of politics. I knew who the local MP was at that time, um conservative MP um, and uh, that's when I got interested and decided to think about getting involved in political activism beyond schoolyard. And no um, day,
0: when you um, you were involved in, you were selected as part of Operation Black Vote to shadow Norman Lamb, hmm. who was then Business Secretary at Lib Dem. Um, quite rare to have a Business Secretary as a Lib Dem, it yes. has to be said, but there we are. It was at he, the time. He, he, he,
1: he, was a, he was a junior minister in that oh, he
0: was a junior minister. Okay. Yeah. But... Um, um, were you did you pick because you've already talked about your liberalism and I don't know how your politics were beginning to shape or mm. emerge at this time but did you pick did you choose to shadow a lib dem mp or was that just I, coincidence
1: i did i did choose to shadow a lib dem mp so this was when i was um uh 18 um i'd just gone off to, i applied while i was in, I think in my summer holidays, um, between school, uh, or between uh, sixth form and university, and then the program started, um, while I was at university. Before that, I had got involved in Liberal Democrat politics right. locally. I'd got involved in quite an accidental way. Um, I um, I was at a was university open day university of sussex open day went with my a level politics uh class and that day happened to be fall within freshers week um and there were all these different stalls um laid out um for you you know the freshers to go and join their university societies and things at and so we were exploring these and we saw a conservative uh stall and i thought oh i, I know i'm i'm not a conservative um and I thought, um, oh, well, I'll look for a Labour stall, because if you're not a Conservative and you're kind of progressive, then Labour's where you go, isn't it? And we couldn't find a Labour stall, and it was because there wasn't one. You know, Labour's presence down in our patch is very, very small. Um, there was a Liberal Democrat stall, though, and it you know was dressed very well, and they had some beer mats that I really liked. They were just quite smart, some acrostic or something added on them. And uh, I asked them for a beer mat. Uh, And they said no you can't have one unless you join the party So my mate Abby paid for me to join. It was like one pound Paid for me to join the party Um, And then I started getting all these emails through saying uh, Well all sorts of things but one of them said Nick Clegg. This was at the end of 2009 November December time Nick Clegg is coming to Eastbourne um, To do a town hall style Q&A So I went along with some friends sat there a uh, pretty xenophobic guy um who sat behind me uh, asked um some um i think ridiculous questions um and they really angered me and i had it out with him at the end of the uh, debate as everyone was leaving and um the town hall had emptied. it was just me my pals and this guy and then um someone came into the room and broke up this um you know battle of ideas and that person was Stephen Lloyd uh, who at that point was the Liberal Democrat parliamentary candidate for Eastbourne and I've met him once or twice before and only um, you know briefly I guess each time and he said oh it's Josh isn't it Um, good to see you again and essentially said you know don't get mad get even and if you want to get even then come campaign for me and that's how we kind of stamp out this xenophobia Um, and I was to be honest, above all, just impressed that he remembered my name. Um, And so I, yeah, gave him a ring uh, based on the card he gave me and um, went to go and knock on doors, deliver leaflets. And then I ended up um, speaking at a rally and uh, then he won. um, And then I went and interned in his office uh, that summer up in Parliament, 17 at the time. um, And... um, and I knew, actually, based on seeing Stephen in action, based on getting to understand the party, um, more, uh, and reflecting on my liberalism in a not dissimilar way to what we've done hitherto, um, uh, I knew that this was my party, um, and that is what gave me the confidence to then apply to do the shadowing scheme and select the Liberal Democrat MP to shadow as a. Uh, uh, as one who I might be matched with. And then, yeah, ended up being matched with Norman Lamb, we had a great time.
0: And you, um, I mean, the coincidence is that when we met, it wasn't through Stephen Lloyd, but we do, I do also know Stephen Lloyd because I interviewed him for The Independent, must have been around that time, actually, because I spent a day with him in Eastbourne and a day with him in Westminster. And and then when I lost my job, he took me for dinner at... um, at the House of Commons, and and uh, and we've met a, a few times for dinner since, and um, and he was he was just so incredibly kind, so incredibly kind. But also he was he was such a hardworking constituency MP. I mm. couldn't believe how busy his schedule was. Were you? Well, two things: a you you went on to do uh, to read to do study government at the LSE. Was that with a career in politics in mind?
1: Uh, kind of, I mean, I, um, I knew I was interested in it and part of it was just a kind of being in the moment type thing. You know, when I was applying, I thought, well, the thing I'm really interested in and and passionate about is politics. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a punt and apply for that in the same way that, you know, the, the A-levels that I chose, I chose government and politics law um economics and sociology
0: not a um, single one of those could i have done at my school they didn't exist
1: <laughs> yeah well <laughs> and I, and 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 i was told not not to do them when i when i went um after i uh, had my interview and then i went to formally enroll um at the college i remember there was uh, one teacher there who said look josh you you could be uh you could go to a you know seriously great university here problem is the universities aren't interested really in these in a lot of a lot of these a levels economics you might be all right but the others that they they think they're probably going to be fluffy Mm. and i was um uh i thought well i'm not here to use this as a vehicle for university and university alone i'm here because i want to have a good experience Mm. i'm here because i want to learn specific things and pursue various passions and interests um and so I did, um. And applying to do politics at, at LSE or government at LSE was um was was similar to that. What was interesting though during my time there, well, I got really geeky about you know political science. Uh, I love it, absolutely love it. Um and, um and I was you know tempted to look into based on my internship with Stephen to look into. You know, career as a um you know MP staffer or something like that. Kind of see where it would take me. Um, but I also, when I was at university, um, spent uh, quite a lot of time um mentoring, uh, widening participation uh, students in schools across uh, London. Widening participation students being those um, who were less likely to go to university for various reasons, um and um for whom it was really important to kind of build and boost aspiration um and i got way more out of that actually than mm-hmm. any moment of my university um uh degree um and i was quite frustrated as well by how you know, there's was, there was such smart people um at lse way smarter than me um and you know really interesting like ideas um circulating but they were in so many respects, consigned to circulate, circulating around, um, you know, different academics bookshelves. So that was what I was seeing at, mm. at the time. I've since learned, actually, there is much more diffusion. But um, that's what I was seeing at the time. Um, and I thought, oh, I don't, um, I'm struggling to engage with, with this, actually. I want to um, get out there. I'm more of a kind of, you know, go out and get my sleeves, uh, roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty type thing. And um so when i left university um i decided not to pursue um the parliamentary researcher type route or um or indeed the route of banking or um law or con- consulting were you ever
0: tempted by any of those
1: no no i wasn't um i actually that's a lie I was tempted by law at at one point. I really wasn't enjoying the first term of my um degree. I was missing home a lot. I was missing playing this kind of dad uh, mm. you know um character at home um but also um you know a lot of the introductory stuff we were you know looking at Plato and Aristotle and Cicero, and I just thought I haven't come here to you know read classics um. And so I considered changing over to law because I was doing a criminal law module and I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, that was with a view to potentially, um, you know, looking at becoming a barrister or something like that. Um, so I did, I did consider that at at one point, but I ruled it out then and I had ruled it out by the time I left university. Um, and, uh, you know, there were a couple of times where it creeped back in. So I was... Um, Basically, after university, I um went to uh, volunteer as a kind of youth and, and gangs worker in the East End of London. I uh, did that through an amazing program called Year Here, um, which is in a couple of degrees of separation way. What connect first connected me with you, um, and uh, when I was um doing that work um. I was living um in a building. Lucky enough to live in a building where I wasn't having to pay very much uh, to be there, but it wasn't um it wasn't the most um wasn't equipped um with you know lots of nice things that flats um um well often are um it was um you know it's very basic uh but it was perfect for for what I needed but anyway, I lived in this building, and then the um uh a couple of buildings along from me there was a building uh called panoramic tower uh and uh you can imagine what the view uh, was like and how kind of modern and plush it was like um and um the one of my friends who I went to l s e with um lived there. And uh, she hosted dinners where she'd bring together myself with some of the others, they're all lawyers. Um, and I was in the early days of, you know, um, doing this work and not getting paid very much. And, um, and, you know, I started to set up a social enterprise and, you know, wasn't really getting very much traction. I was meeting with that and I was bringing over, you know, my, um, my cheap, you know, Blossom Hill, uh, white Zinfandel, which I love. But, you know, five, five quid bottle of rosé, yeah. uh, and they were bringing, you know, these extravagant bottles of things I'd never heard of. Well,
0: well thir- 30 years on, Josh, I'm still getting my wine from Aldi at like £6.99 or something. Great, so. great,
1: great. <laughs> um, But I, I was coming from this very basic living situation with my very basic wine that I love. And they were um, in a totally different place. And I did think, oh, man, how, have I made the wrong decision? Not because I was jealous, necessarily, but because I thought, oh, gosh, how can I keep up? Am I going to lose friends um, over this life decision? Um, And uh, I confirm that I haven't. Um, And (laughs) what unites us is, you know, our ambition and excitement for life and all this kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, I knew, uh, basically, you know, to your question, um, did I want to go into uh, politics or is that why I chose that degree? No, not necessarily. I chose it because I wanted to do it and I'm a uh, hands on kind of guy. So, didn't pursue it in quite that way straight after university. But I knew that I wasn't done with politics. Yeah. I knew that I wasn't.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I was going to ask at the same time was about I, I mean, I think Stephen was a relatively unusual constituency MP in that he worked incredibly hard. I don't think all that many of them work as hard as he does. So I'm sure many do work very hard, Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, not just answering the hundreds and hundreds of letters or emails, but um, endless visits at at evenings and weekends to uh, community groups and so on. And then there's, there are the surgeries where I suppose um, the best you can do really is write a letter to someone to kind of put someone a bit further in a queue or something like that most of the time I mean I was struck by how a lot of that is kind of diplomacy really because in in a way you are faced with these terrible sort of endemic problems of poverty or whatever and although of course you are part of changing the laws that change the overall system on a one-to-one level there isn't always all that much you can do how did you how did that time working with Stephen kind of change your view of what it meant to be an MP and how positive or how do you feel about the kind of um potential and limitations of it
1: yeah I was uh I was frustrated um by you know a lot of the limitations um that there are um uh, when it comes to being an mp because as you say you know whether you're in government or or not um when folks come uh, to you with you know a particular challenge like um you know wanting to um you know secure new council accommodation say um that um you know writing a letter is seemingly um you know one of the only options that's that that's possible but let me tell you what I did learn, though, from, from Stephen and what I've learned um, uh, since then, you know, as a counsellor locally myself, um, about just what more you can achieve without necessarily having any more um, power, but uh, but certainly, you know, wielding your influence in, uh, in, in the right way. So, first of all... Um, People people just want to be heard. Uh, not, not just want to be heard, but that is a really, really important factor. Lots of people contact me um, saying that um, they've had doors slammed in their face, um, people are refusing to engage with them and to understand. And often when people come to, say, a surgery of mine, um, I mean, that they spend most of the time doing the talking and sometimes get almost a bit lost in all the different issues. And I really honor that space for them um, because it's space that often that doesn't exist anywhere else and helps you know, for them to be able to articulate where, where, where they're at. Um, so that, that listening ear, I think is an empowering thing. Second, I think what's important is um, that you know, folks who are experiencing hardship um in the ways that folks attending a surgery uh tend to do um is um something important for them is just knowing that someone is gonna fight for them mm-hmm. that someone is on their side um and that can range um you know from a letter to you know something that is uh you know even more significant which kind of leads to my third thing which is that mps and politicians generally don't have to be bound by, um, uh, you know, customs and um, and traditions. Um, MPs can go over and above. MPs can innovate. I see M- MPs kind of, well, they can be like political entrepreneurs. Um, and there's a lot of um, agility and innovation that, that that can occur. An example of what I saw with Stephen is. Um, He didn't settle or his team didn't settle at, um, you know, writing the odd letter here and there and hoping that that um, helps someone out. Stephen's team um, would go and represent people in tribunals. Wow. Um, And um, it was only done in, you know, kind of certain cases um, because resources were really stretched and stuff. Um, But only a handful of MPs, offices across the country um, do that. Um, and I, I saw this, um, firsthand as something that, um, is, you know, I think a lot about in the context of my own position now as parliamentary candidate in, in Eastbourne standing against the conservative MP. Um, uh, my dad, um, came into some, some trouble when it came to his housing situation, um, which, you know, basically meant that he was gonna have to leave. Um, and he's been there all his adult oh. life. And um he called me about it, which I I know would have been really humiliating for him. He's oh. a very, very proud man.
0: Oh.
1: Um and asked whether I could help. This was in early twenty seventeen. Um and Stephen Lloyd wasn't the MP at that time. Um, but I contacted the current MPs office. Well she was the MP then she lost and then she's returned. Um and I asked whether they could help. Um and I was given the number of another organization um to call um to see if they could help but no letter uh was written and certainly no you know coming to represent mm. um my, my my dad at a kind of hearing that was not even on the cards. Um so I called Stephen Lloyd, who at that point, you know, was in between parliamentary terms. Um and I said, look, Stephen, I know you're not the MP anymore, um, but uh, you know, can you can you help? And he connected me with um the former caseworker who used to represent folks in um uh, in tribunals and things, and he'd, you know, got another job by then in a totally different sector, but still in Eastbourne. Um, And he agreed to represent, he didn't even agree, he offered to represent my dad. Wow. And um, got to this courtroom, um, wasn't looking good, um, based on what the kind of judge was saying. Um, And um, this guy stood up and fought for my dad. And my dad ended up being able to keep his
0: place. I went to cry now, that's such an incredible story.
1: Yeah, um, and that is what you can do, not even as an MP in, in this case. Um, if, you're, if you're really willing um, to put convention aside, mm. if you're willing to ditch a kind of computer says no mentality um, and you're willing to basically do whatever it takes to stand up for the people who are looking to you mm. for help and hope, uh, then that's what you can achieve um and it makes me you know on a very personal level i was i was gutted um that um in the first instance it looked like my dad uh wasn't wasn't gonna you know get the support he needed um and i was lucky in that i had a contact who i could call and um we were able to make something happen um but it really saddened me that there's so many other people mm. who uh who you know for whom it it doesn't um end up turn out so well um and so that really emboldened my um desire to do this and really um kind of restored actually my hope um in um uh the influence of 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 the role of a member of mm. parliament also i think just um and I, I learned this somewhat from Stephen, but I learned it um, you know, when I was working up in London uh, as well, um, through people like Julia Hobsbawm, um, who, who we both know, and through people, I did a fair bit of work with the, with the US embassy and something that you know, the US ambassador, Julia, and indeed Stephen have in common is they know how to wield their convening power. They know how to bring people, the right people together and how to facilitate um, a space um, that uh, kind of inspires and incentivizes those people to collaborate for some kind of wider good. Um, and you look at lots of different um, uh, projects and places in Eastbourne and you can see um, where someone like Stephen has had that influence. and. That's one of the bits I love as an MP and as a, as a local councillor in my case. Um, you can, you know, convene. You can use the letters before or after your name mm. So bring people together, get them in the room, bash some heads together, mm. uh, and come out with results or an action plan to to get them.
0: Wonderful. And tell us about the, or tell me and listeners um about the uh, the u.s embassy thing that was 2017 i'm trying to remember what it was called um international, international
1: visitor leadership program yeah and i yeah. know
0: that the average age is for potential world leaders um average age 48 you were i believe 24 um yes. <laughs> so what did that feel like being picked as a potential world le- leader and what was involved
1: it was extraordinary so the the uh international visitor leadership program experience was extraordinary um it really was um i um have been to a round table or two um at the us embassy um and it happened because i spoke at a panel event once um and there was someone from the embassy in the audience and they were interested um in what i had to say and kind of brought me in um and then, um, yeah, next I knew was that I was gonna be uh going on this um you know diplomacy exchange um around the theme of uh countering violent extremism um and there were eight of us um in the group from the u k um with um kind of you know there was someone who was a uh you know counter terror uh, expert or a couple of counter-terror experts, someone who um, used to, um, or does a lot of mentoring of um, people when it comes to getting them out of far-right uh, extremism. Um, folks who are doing similar when it came to, um, you know extremism committed in the name of Islam. Um, uh, someone who was working um, with, um, you know, folks at risk of getting involved in paramilitary activity in Northern Ireland, uh, and me, um, and I was kind of representing the kind of, uh, gang violence, youth violence, um, perspective in light of the work that, that I was doing at the time. And, uh, yeah, we went to a number of different cities across the U S and met counterparts and other interesting, um, practitioners, policymakers, you know, we met, uh, the FBI, department of justice, judges, sheriffs, um uh police chiefs um all sorts of of really interesting people and um for me it was a really um i grew up very quickly on that 3 week uh trip it was really serious and i knew that um i was going to have the chance to learn an awful lot uh from this um and that um I'll be able to share some cool stuff as well, and just have a really good time, so what what you haven't seen, Christina, when you know reflecting back on the social media stuff are the 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 photos and the videos that exist in the depth of my phone from that trip outside of meeting time and the rest, and we really were encouraged to um not only do the professional bit but to really indulge in the culture of the United States, and we did um including i, I gate crashed a a party on an aircraft carrier huh? um randomly one evening which was really really fun um and yeah it was uh f- for me that it was it was an important milestone in me um kind of r- recognizing that you know I, I really i was on the right track um that i wasn't drifting because i'd often thought i i might be
0: at the um, age of 24, you were worried that you'd be drifting. <laughs>
1: yeah, because, you know, it's, again, I reflect on that, that, um, the, you know, the Blossom Hill, um, experience. You know, I wasn't, I didn't know anyone else, um, who, you know, had come from where I'd come from, um, and, uh, who, they you know, had the opportunity to go and make it big in the city or something and then chose not to and I kind of thought, Oh gosh, have I blown it? Um so it was a really important marker that no, like I'm doing the right thing and like just le- lean into this. Um and it was it was humbling and quite intimidating to learn that all these world leaders and stuff had had been doing this before and, and things. Um but you know exciting to feel that I was, um, uh, you know, I was being enriched with the same kind of experiences that are informing the judgments um, that, you know, leaders in all different Mm. um, places and spaces um, are are, are making. Um, And that, that felt pretty good. What I also learned is that there's a IVLP program for new MPs. Um, and Stephen Lloyd had done.
0: Oh, amazing! Oh, amazing! So we, and and also Theresa May, Tony Blair, um, yeah. all kinds of others. How amazing! Um, and at the time, I think you were doing Cracked It, weren't you? Yeah. So so you started. Um, I think you started Cracked It after after I met you, which I can't remember. Maybe that was twenty fifteen or something like that. When That's when were right. you yeah. a year a year here, fellow? Was that twenty fifteen?
1: I was on year here in twenty fifteen and I think we met in yeah, February or March of that year. Right. Um at uh in Auburg. That's right, that yeah, it was
0: a great thing, yeah.
1: And um cracked it. Um this what became you know, social enterprise smartphone repair service staffed by ex-offenders and young people at risk of offending, um, came from uh my work working with ex-offenders ex-gang members at risk gang members supporting them away from crime and into uh, employment and um it was very very clear that um you know I've, i think i might have told you some of you know, these anecdotes before but very clear that these were often like good kids and they were kids the mm. average age that someone joined a gang in london at that time was 15 That's years terrible, old yeah um and, uh, but their, their hearts were in the right place, but their means for pursuing those aspirations just weren't. Um, and I'll never forget um, one young person saying, Josh, look, I don't wanna um, uh, deal drugs or steal bikes, but I do it so I can use the cash I make to secretly slip into my mum's handbag week after week to help her pay the bills. And goodness knows, in light of this cost of living disaster exactly. that we're in now, um, how much more common that, um, that, that kind of situation is. Um, and all of the evidence at that time, and still does today, indicate that employment is the single biggest thing that can reduce someone's propensity to offend or to re-offend. So I knew that I wanted to um, support them into work, find a way of upskilling them into some kind of industry um, so that I could help to facilitate that transition. And tech was really important because, um, you know, in the east end of London, sandwiched in between Canary Wharf to the south, booming fintech sector, to the north, the Olympic Park, where there's a robotics centre um, emerging, and then to the west was, you know, Old Street, Shoreditch, Tech City. Um, and yeah, in the middle, these guys saw all this prosperity and no hand in it at all. And. Um, and so I basically you know, drew up a list of different tech-based trades that I might be able to support them to move into. Coding was the top of the list, quite sexy. Problem is, instant gratification is yeah. really important to these lads. Yeah. Takes too long to learn how to code, yeah. 180 hours, apparently, right. to code somewhat proficiently. But smartphone repair, specifically, smash screens, was like seventh or something on my list. Um, and um, it uh, seemed to tick the boxes on paper problem was I had no idea how to fix a phone and no interest in doing so. However, I'm a pragmatist. Um, and I watched many a YouTube video, uh, and learned to fix phones and then ended up running this program, um, to, you know, teach a group of lads I was working with to replace the screens on smashed iPhones. And then on the final day this five day program, um, them out to Spitalfields Market where I booked them a stall and they sold their repair services to the public. These guys learned how to fix a phone, they made money, um, they felt good about themselves and they felt as though they belonged to something legitimate, the economy. Mm. Um, and so I built infrastructure around it so that we could do it again and again, bigger and better with more young people across more areas of London. And we became you know, one of London's best phone repair companies, awards wise.
0: And now you're Head of Entrepreneurship at the School of Social Entrepreneurs, is it? Yes. Um, Which sounds like uh, a job almost made for you, actually. Um, But I presume it's not full-time, or is it full-time?
1: So I work uh, four days a week, 28 hours a week. Right. Um, And, yeah, in terms of the role, I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity for me to um, harness all the insights that I've gained from building something from zero um and um you know part of that legacy piece again support the next um round of social entrepreneurs um to to start to trade and to scale um their their ideas that are going to help make society and our environment better um and uh, again it sits nicely with my liberalism the whole social enterprise yeah. idea um, about harnessing a market and using the income generated from it to power social or environmental good, um, sits really well with, with with my politics. Um, but it is, you know, very honestly, it's a it's a very difficult balancing act. Um, uh, you know, juggling um my day job with with my my political stuff, which, um, you know, is just. Huge. Um, there's a lot to do.
0: Well, I'm extremely grateful you've taken the time to talk to me today. It's been really fantastic to talk to you, Josh, and I wish you the very best. I wish us all the very best, actually, as our country faces this absolute catastrophe. But um, I look forward very much to you being the Lib Dem MP for Eastbourne, and um, I'll come and visit you when you are.
1: Yes, please come and spend a day with me.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to The Art of Work on Apple, Spotify or any of the main podcast directories and I'd be really grateful if you'd share, rate it and or leave a review. Do sign up to my free Substack newsletter, also called The Art of Work. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, my books or explore the possibility of coaching with me, do have a look at my website, theartofwork.co and do join me for another podcast next week.